0: I invite you to turn to the back of the hymn book, Lord's Day 12, page 877. And then we'll open God's Word to Matthew 1, page 877. Lord's Day 12, the left column. Why is he called Christ? Meaning, anointed, because he has been ordained by God the Father and has been anointed with the Holy Spirit to be our chief prophet and teacher, who fully reveals to us the secret counsel and will of God concerning our deliverance, our only high priest, who has delivered us by the one sacrifice of his body, and who continually intercedes for us before the Father and our eternal King, who governs us by his word and spirit and who guards us and keeps us in the deliverance he has won for us. But why are you called a Christian? Because by faith I am a member of Christ, and so I share in his anointing. I am anointed to confess his name, to present myself to him as a living sacrifice of thanks, to strive with a free conscience against sin and the devil in this life, and afterward to reign with Christ over all creation for eternity. Now please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter one. Same reading as last week. Draw your attention to the first verse, very the opening words of the New Testament. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, and then follows the genealogy, which we read last week, and then we'll drop down to the 16th verse, which is also our text, and we'll read through to the end. And Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. From David until the captivity in Babylon are 14 generations. And from the captivity in Babylon until the Christ are 14 generations. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband being a just man, And he called his name Jesus. So far, the reading of God's holy word. When Jesus began his public ministry, there were many people who misunderstood his true identity. In Matthew 16, Jesus said to his disciples, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? The disciples responded, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. There was, you see, much speculation among the multitudes with respect to his identity. Some thought he was a wonderful healer. Others thought he was mad. Some thought he was a brilliant teacher. Others thought he was demon-possessed. Some thought that he had come in the name of the Lord, while others conclude that he was mentally unstable. Today, if you were to interview people on the street and ask them, who is Jesus, I suspect you would get a, a wide variety of responses. Some would tell you that he was a good man with good values and a fine example for the human race. He demonstrated the qualities of love, compassion, and care for his fellow man. He was a kind person with a soft heart who cared for the weak and oppressed. If he lived today, he would undoubtedly support the NDP. Others would perhaps compare Jesus to David Koresh. Or Jim Jones, a cult leader with a magnetic personality who drew people to himself, a man with charm who hypnotized his disciples. Then there are yet others who would honestly say, I have no idea who he is. I mean, his name is used as a curse word. It's used when things go wrong, when people are angry, but for the rest, I really have no idea. If you interviewed some Jehovah's Witnesses, they would likely tell you that Jesus was the Son of God, not God Himself. He was a great prophet, but He was not equal with God the Father. He was the first creation of God and did not exist from eternity. And then if you interviewed a knowledgeable Mormon, He might tell you that Jesus is Satan's brother and that ever since Jesus was chosen as a Savior, there has been hostility between them. Jesus and his brother have been at odds ever since. A Mormon may also tell you that Jesus was a polygamist and that there are some serious sins for which the cleansing blood of Christ does not operate. I'm sure, congregation, that if you interviewed people at random, many of the responses would be rather bizarre. So, getting back to Peter... How did he answer that question some say john the baptist some elijah and others jeremiah or one of the prophets jesus said to them but who do you say that i am peter responded you are the christ the son of the living god you are the long-awaited anointed one the messiah Peter's response is precisely what we find in the opening words of Matthew 1. The first words that we read in the New Testament are these, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And then when you move down to verse 16, you find these words, and Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. In connection with Lord's Day 12 of the Heidelberg Catechism I want us to ponder this title Christ why is he called Christ I want to begin just briefly by impressing upon you the importance of this title point number one a significant title in Christian circles we are so accustomed to speaking of Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus that we subconsciously assume that the two names belong together we tend to use the word Christ as his last name In Jewish circles, however, that was certainly not the case. The scribes and Pharisees at the time of our Lord would have referred to him as Jesus of Nazareth, or Jesus the son of Joseph, or Jesus the son of the carpenter, but they certainly would not refer to him as Jesus the Christ. That's why Peter's confession in Matthew 16 was so unique. You are the Christ. The words Jesus Christ are a combination of a proper name and a title. Jesus was the proper name that Mary and Joseph had to give him, and that was the name that he was known by in the community. No one took offense to the name Jesus, for that was a relatively common name taken from the Old Testament Joshua. The word Christ, on the other hand, is not really a name, but a title. It is a title that is loaded with theological significance. If I say to you, President Joe Biden, Joe is his proper name, President is his title. If I say to you, Premier Doug Ford, Doug is his proper name, Premier is his title. That is how we should understand the words Jesus Christ. Jesus is his proper name. Christ is His title. The word Christ is the Greek word Christos, which means anointed one. Christos was used to translate the Hebrew word for Messiah. Both Christ and Messiah mean anointed one. And therefore Jesus Christ means Jesus the anointed, Jesus the Messiah. While the name Jesus was not offensive to the scribes and Pharisees, the title Christ, when applied to Jesus, was extremely offensive, for it implied that He was the fulfillment of the Scriptures, the fulfillment of the prophetic predictions. The scribes and Pharisees were not prepared to accept that. But, congregation, this is how the New Testament begins, Matthew 1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus. Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the anointed one, the fulfillment of the Old Testament promises. The angel said to the shepherds in Luke 2 He is Christ the Lord. Now, what does it mean that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ? In the Old Testament, Israel's prophets, priests, and kings were anointed, anointed with special holy oil. Their anointing signified that they had been placed in a special position and given a special task. It also signified that they were given unique authority in Israel. When our text says that Jesus is called Christ, it means that these offices find their culmination in him. In the Old Testament, the offices of prophet, priest, and king were held by separate individuals. But with the coming of Jesus, all three offices converge in the one person. Let us then ponder for a moment what it means that Jesus was anointed as prophet, our chief prophet. Point number two. When prophets were anointed, they were set apart for the special task of proclaiming God's Word. Prophets were those who received communication from the Lord, which they in turn had to pass on to the people. They had to reveal the mind and will of God to the people. Prophets existed from the beginning of the world. Who is the very first person who was called a prophet? Children? Children? Who was the very first person to be called a prophet? Abel. Enoch is also called a prophet. So was Abraham, Moses, David, and Solomon. And then later on you have people like Elijah and Elisha, as well as Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel. All these prophets throughout the Old Testament remind us that a greater one was needed. There is an awareness of the fact that one great prophet is coming. One of the clearest statements of this expectation is in Deuteronomy 18. Would you turn with me for a moment in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 18? In the last chapter of Deuteronomy, Moses himself is called the greatest of prophets, for the Lord had known him face to face. Yet... In Deuteronomy 18, we see that Moses anticipated the coming of a a greater prophet, one to whom the people must hearken. Look at Deuteronomy 18 and verse 15. Deuteronomy 18, 15. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren, him you shall hear. Drop down to verse 18. 18, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brethren and will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. Verse 19, and it shall be that whoever will not hear my words which he speaks in my name, I will require it of him. Now how do we know that this is speaking about Jesus? How do we know that this is not speaking about another prophet, Isaiah or John the Baptist? Because the New Testament specifically applies this to Jesus. Acts chapter 3 and verse 22 says that He is the prophet. The Old Testament prophetic office culminated in the coming of Jesus. He was ordained by God the Father and anointed with the Holy Spirit to be our chief prophet and teacher. As a prophet, he not only declared the Word of God, he is himself the Word of God. He is the supreme prophet because he is God's Word in the flesh. He is the Logos, the supreme and decisive Word of God. The Old Testament office of prophet reaches its ultimate fulfillment in him. Jesus was himself very much aware of his anointing as prophet. He openly spoke of it in his hometown of Nazareth. At one point in his public ministry, he came to Nazareth and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. When he stood up to read they handed him the scroll of the prophet isaiah jesus deliberately turned to isaiah 61 and he read these words listen the spirit of the lord is upon me because he has what anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor to preach deliverance to the captives to preach the acceptable year of the lord Jesus then closed the book, and with all eyes glued upon him, he said, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, I am the anointed one, the Messiah. I am anointed with the Holy Spirit to to preach the gospel, to preach deliverance, and to preach the year of jubilee the great and final jubilee. I am the prophet of the Lord, I am the Christ. Jesus was fully aware that he was the supreme prophet. He was anointed at his baptism in the Jordan when the Spirit of God came upon him. You recall heaven was opened and the Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him. He was anointed by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, when he spoke, he spoke with authority, taught with authority, and perfectly revealed the will of God. Congregation, on that special day, when Mary brought forth her firstborn son, she was holding in her arms the great prophet of the Lord. She was holding in her arms the great prophet of the Lord, the one who would reveal the mind and will of the Lord as no one else could do. She was holding the one that Moses anticipated, the one Isaiah predicted, the one that all the prophets of old longed to see. What a special day when Mary brought forth her firstborn son. What a remarkable day for the shepherds when they heard the news the Christ is born, the prophet is here. But now what does this mean for us today? What does it mean for you? It means that we must hear and obey the words which our chief prophet has spoken. As Moses said, him you shall hear. You must listen to him. Our prophet continues to speak to us today through his word and spirit. And the warning still stands. Whoever will not hear the words of that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. Although our Lord Jesus has ascended into heaven, His prophetic voice is still heard through the Word and its proclamation. Every time you open your Bible, the prophet is addressing you. Every time you hear the proclamation of the Word, the prophet is addressing you. Every time you hear the call to repentance, every time the Word touches a nerve, Every time the Word of God calls for a change in your conduct, and every time you hear the message of grace and forgiveness, the prophet is addressing you. Moses said, him, him you shall hear. Christ, our chief prophet. But then thirdly, the significant title, Christ, not only calls our attention to the office of prophet, but also to the fact that Jesus was anointed as the great high priest, our only high priest. In the Old Testament, when priests were anointed, they were set apart for the special task of representing the people before God. They spoke to God on behalf of the people and made intercession for them. They would also offer sacrifices for sin. A prophet was a mediator and that he spoke to the people for God. He spoke to the people for God. A priest was a mediator and that he spoke to God for the people. All the priests throughout the Old Testament pointed to a greater priest who was needed. They served as a reminder that a great high priest was coming. In Psalm 110, verse 4, which we sang a moment ago, there is a clear statement predicting the priesthood of the coming Redeemer. David said, the Lord has sworn and will not relent, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek, referring to Jesus. When we read the New Testament epistle to the Hebrews, we see how the office of priest reaches its ultimate fulfillment in Christ. Turn now, please, in your Bibles to Hebrews 7. Hebrews 7. First of all, the work of Christ was to what? To offer Himself as a sacrifice for sin. He's the priest, but He's also the sacrifice. He offered a sacrifice of everlasting value once for all time. Jesus offered the supreme sacrifice, and He is the supreme sacrifice. He comes into the most holy place with His own blood. Look to Hebrews 7 and down to verse 26. For such a high priest was fitting for us, or such a high priest meets our need, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens, who does not need daily, as those high priests, to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the people's, for this he did once for all, when he offered up himself." Our great high priest is at the same time the sacrificial lamb. The sacrifices that the priests of Israel offered were inadequate. They taught the way of salvation through the death of an innocent victim, but their blood could not take away sins. The prophet Micah said, With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come to before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, 10,000 rivers of oil? The answer is no, no. The blood of bulls and goats could not take away sins. All the sacrifices and ceremonies of the old covenant pointed to the priestly office of the Messiah. When he offered himself, all the flowing of blood ceased. the Old Covenant, the fire of the great altar of sacrifice never went out, and the blood never stopped flowing. In the Jewish temple, the work of the priest was never done. But when Jesus, the great high priest, offered himself, when he gave his body as a sacrifice for sin, all that was symbolized in the Old Testament was complete. He entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Now, congregation, I find it rather interesting that in Luke 2, the shepherds who heard the announcement of the birth of Christ the Messiah were possibly at that very moment caring for sheep that were destined for the temple sacrifices. The fact that the shepherds were so close to Jerusalem has led some scholars to believe that those sheep would be used for sacrifices. There was a rabbinic rule which stipulated that animals found between Jerusalem and a place near Bethlehem were presumed to be for sacrifices in the temple. Now, if this was the case, if those shepherds were caring for sheep that someday would be used as sacrifices in the temple, then what a remarkable announcement it was. The shepherds were first to know about the Lamb of God. This child would be offered as the true, final, spotless Lamb. Through this child, the Christ, Sheep for the temple sacrifices would no longer be needed. Of course, the shepherds were not yet fully aware of all these things, but in the course of time it was revealed that the great high priest, Jesus the Christ, would offer himself as the supreme sacrifice, the great high priest offering the perfect lamb for the sins of his people. And in congregation, our Lord Jesus fulfilled the priestly office not only by offering himself as the sacrifice for sin, but also by interceding for his people. By interceding for his people. We see our Lord exercising his priestly office in John 17 when he prayed for his disciples and when he prayed for believers. And the author of Hebrews says that even now, He continues to make intercession for his people. He intercedes from heaven. What did the Apostle Paul say in Romans 8, 34? Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also, what? Makes intercession for us. Even at this very moment, brothers and sisters, our great high priest makes intercession for us. He makes intercession on the basis of his own sacrifice. His intercession is effective because the sacrifice for sins has been made. People of God, on that special day, When Mary brought forth her firstborn son, she was not only holding in her arms the great prophet of the Lord, but she was also holding the great high priest. The child that she was cradling was both the priest and the Lamb of God that would be offered for sin. Mary was holding the one who would make the temple service obsolete. This child would bring an end to the sacrifices and ceremonies of the old covenant. And this child would be the great intercessor for his people. What does this mean for us today? What does it mean for you? It means that through Christ, through faith in his sacrifice, we are made right with God. And through his ongoing ministry of intercession, we can never fall away. All the attacks of the world, the flesh, and the devil cannot destroy the one for whom Christ intercedes. As Jesus said to Peter, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. As he prayed for Peter, so now he also makes continual, continual, continual intercession for us. When your sin overwhelms you, remember, you have one who represents you in the presence of Almighty God, a Savior and mediator who is Christ the Lord. And then fourthly, the significant title, Christ. Not only calls our attention to the fact that Jesus was anointed as the chief prophet and the only high priest, but also the eternal king. In the Old Testament, when kings were anointed, they were set apart for the special task of ruling by the law of God, defending the people of God, and fighting the enemies of God. Think of King David. He was anointed by the prophet Samuel as king over Israel. Through his anointing to office, the Lord granted him kingly gifts. He was called to rule the nation by the law of God. He was also called to defend the sheep of God and destroy his enemies. But David, as great as he was, pointed to the need for a greater king. All the kings of the Old Testament pointed to that need. It's Second Samuel chapter 7, that great chapter, the Lord promised David that a greater king from his line was coming. The Lord said to him, your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Later on in the history of Israel, when the house of David was in decline, the prophet Isaiah repeated the promise and reminded the people of the Messiah yet to come. Speaking of the messianic king, Isaiah said, the government will be upon his shoulder and his name will be called? Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of His government and peace, there will be no end upon the throne of David and over His kingdom. Similarly, the prophet Micah spoke of the coming king when he said, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel. Congregation, the Old Testament office of king, and the promises of an eternal king on the throne of David reached their ultimate fulfillment in Jesus. The genealogy of Matthew 1 is given with the express intent of establishing Jesus' royal lineage. Matthew's intent is to show that Jesus is indeed the son of David. Verse one, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David. Verse 16 of Matthew one, and Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. People of God. On that special day when Mary brought forth her firstborn son, she was not only holding in her arms the great prophet and the great high priest, but she was also holding the eternal king. This child was the son of David. Prior to his birth, The angel Gabriel appeared to Mary in Nazareth and said to her, You will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Jesus is the son of David, the promised king who reigns forever. Tragically, the Jews failed to acknowledge him as their king. In Matthew 2, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? No one became excited. And no one went to look for the king. They all ignored the wise men. And later on, 30 years later, the people of Jerusalem said to each other, we will not have this man to reign over us. But children, when Jesus was crucified, do you remember the inscription that was put over his head? this is jesus the king of the jews this is jesus the king of the jews pilate had it written in hebrew greek and latin the jews objected to the title but pilate said what i have written i have written now what does this mean for you today It means that Jesus the Christ is now seated upon the throne of David and from his throne in heaven, he is ruling the church and the universe. We have a righteous king who cares for his people and protects us from all harm and danger. We have a king who guards and keeps us so that we are shielded from all spiritual enemies. At the end of the New Testament, we see the Lord Jesus Christ in all his glory. He's seated upon the throne. His enemies are made subject to him that he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written. What is it? King of kings and Lord of lords. The tiny infant that Mary laid in a manger, That little helpless child is now king of kings and lord of lords. Right now, the world is still filled with much evil and rebellion. But scripture says that the son of David is coming again and all his enemies will be placed under his feet. He is the lamb who was slain, but he's also the lion of Judah. And when he comes, he will come in his royal majesty." Dear friends, what do you think of Jesus? What do you think of Jesus? Do you believe with Peter that he is the Christ, son of the living God? If you're hearing the word of the chief prophet, If you're trusting the perfect sacrifice offered by the great high priest, if you're submitting to his authority as the eternal king, then the words of the angel to the shepherds are for you. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. You don't have to fear the glory of God. You don't have to fear His holiness and majesty. You don't have to be terrified by His awesome presence. You don't have to cower before His righteousness. Through the Anointed One, the Christ, God, and sinners are reconciled. Consider, congregation, the great love of Jesus demonstrated in the incarnation. He who was the chief prophet was laid in a feeding trough. He who was the great high priest was a nobody. He who was the eternal king had no palace, no crown, no throne, and no recognition in Israel. He who was prophet, priest, and king had no honor, no fame, no royal welcome, no special place in the land. He was willing to be humiliated and brought low for your sake. For your sake, so that you, through him, may be saved, so that you may hear those words, do not be afraid. And now he calls each and every one of you to live as prophets, priests, and kings in this world. Why are you called a Christian? Because by faith you are a member of Christ, and so you share in his anointing. You are ordained by the same Father and anointed by the same Spirit to fulfill in a lesser way the same offices. As prophets, you are anointed with a spirit to confess his name. As priests, you are anointed to present yourself to him as a living sacrifice of thanks. As kings, you are anointed with the Spirit to strive against sin and the devil and afterward to reign with Christ for eternity. The supreme prophet, priest, and king calls each one of you to serve him as prophets, priests, and kings. You are to give yourself to him who gave his all for you. Are you doing that? Are you doing that? Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, Of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. There is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Thank God that He has come. Hear His word, for He is the great prophet. Trust His sacrifice, for He is the only high priest. And submit to His authority as the greater David the King of kings. He is the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed. Do not be afraid, but put your trust in Him. Let us pray. Lord, we are reminded again this morning of how much is contained within that title, Christ. Lord Jesus, we worship you as our prophet, our only high priest, and our eternal king. How amazing is the story of redemption, it is those who are so weak, sinful, and finite, we have a hard time even processing it all. What is wrapped up in that title? But Lord, we do pray that each and every person here this morning would listen to that prophet. Him you shall hear. May we have our ears opened by the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, may we also take great comfort in the fact that Christ is our high priest, who's offered himself, both the priest and the sacrifice. That even now, as high priest, he continues to make intercession for us. And may we be comforted by the fact that Christ is our eternal king. The day is coming. When his glory will be revealed, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So receive our praises, Lord, as we conclude this service. Humble each one of us before our prophet, our priest, and our king. And use us, Lord, as prophets, priests, and kings as we share in his anointing, that we may proclaim his name, that we may offer ourselves as sacrifice of thanksgiving, that we may reign over this evil world and over our own evil hearts and one day reign for eternity with Christ. Receive our praise and our thanksgiving In his name, amen.